So it's a privilege to be here, and especially always it's a privilege to open the Word of God. Thank you for the scripture reading. And that coincides with the passage I'd like us to look at uh, very focused uh, this morning in John 21. John 21, 15 through 17, we're going to focus in upon these three verses this morning. John 21, verses 15 through 17. The context of these verses is that Jesus has just uh, enjoyed a breakfast with his disciples. They caught a large amount of fish with his help, brought them ashore, and they've, they've had fish um, over a charcoal file, f- fire together. And so we pick up then in verse 15 of John 21. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Let's pray. Our gracious God and our Father, even as was already prayed, we ask for Christ to be highly exalted In these moments, as we open the Word of God, this is the Word of God. We believe it is living and active. But we also believe it's a word for us, not just words for Peter, but a word for us. And so we ask that you administer this truth to us. This we ask, this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. A friend of mine, Arthur Kushki, who I had the privilege to pastor, who has since died to be with the Lord, was the librarian at Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia for 35 years. And he said, back in the day, you know you're old when you use phrases like that, back in the day, they used to have this party for the international students. And he spoke of this one occasion when he met this one international student and got talking with him and found out that the student like to read and like to read literature. And he said, well, what are, what are your, your favorite literature? He says, oh, he says, English literature and plays. He says, oh, well, who's your favorite? He says, oh, Chakras Piare. And my friend said, that sounds Italian. That doesn't sound English at all. And he said, Chakras Piare. He said, who, who is that? He says, Chakras Piare, Romeo and Juliet, Hamlet, Macbeth, as you like it, Chakras Piare. And my friend says, oh, you mean William Shakespeare? He says, yeah, Chakras Piare. So I'd like to refer to the play King Lear written by William Shakespeare or perhaps Chakras Piare. And in that play, King Lear announces he wants to divide his kingdom among his three daughters. But he has this provision. He says, I'm going to give the largest portion of that kingdom to the daughter who can prove that she loves me more than her sisters. So he creates this competition. And Reagan and Goneril, the two oldest, without hesitation, begin to effusively praise their father, speak glowingly of, 
of their undaunted and unequal love that they have for their father, speaking in hyperbole, exaggerations, and lying through their teeth. And meanwhile, Cordelia, core, heart, Cordelia, truly his favorite daughter, is quiet, doesn't say a word. And King Lear looks at her and says, do you have nothing to say? She says, no, nothing. He says, why not? You've heard what I said. Prove to me that you love me more than your sisters. She said, I can't do that because I'm soon to be wed and God commands me to love my husband. How could I say such a thing? I cannot heave my heart into my mouth. And the king is furious with her, so furious that he exiles her and promises no dowry for her for her wedding. And indeed, she is exiled and he gives the kingdom to Reagan and to, and to Goneril who immediately have their father exiled and not, after, not until after they have his eyes gouged out. And of course, because it's Shakespeare, everybody dies and dies miserably. <laughs> if you don't know that and you've not read King Lear, uh, take heart. It means you're probably a normal person. But as we read these passages and we hear this question from Christ, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? It sounds very similar to the question that King Lear poses to his daughters when he creates this sort of competition between them. Do you love me more than these? And we have to admit that sometimes church can feel like a competition. Uh, there are sometimes you come to church and perhaps you're tempted to think as you look around the room, I'm a little bit more committed than sister so-and-so and brother so-and-so and and probably more faithful than most Christians, more obedient. And, and certainly I'm the most humble Christian in this church. Well, the rest of us come to church and look around and say, so many others in this room are so, more, so much more faithful, so much more obedient. They know God more than I do, and they certainly love him more than I do. And every person in this room is more humble than I. Is that what Christ is doing? So let's look at this question. Do you love me more than these? This word these in the Greek it can have two different antecedents, and therefore it creates some options for us. And it's not real crystal clear what he means by these, but there are only three possibilities to what he means by this question. The first op op uh, option is this. Do you love me more than you love these things? And remember, they're at the seashore. There is the, the boat. There's the fishing nets. And perhaps Christ is kind of looking over towards the nets. And, and what he's saying to Peter, do you love me more than you love your former occupation of fishing? Do you love me more than, than work? Do you love me more than your, your former life? I don't think that's a good option. Why would he not ask the same question to the other disciples? There are three other professional fishermen right there around the fire. Why would Jesus single out Peter for that? That does not seem like the likely answer. Or maybe he's asking this question, do you love me more than you love these others? Do you love me more than you love your brothers or these other disciples or, or mankind, something like that? Of course, that is an appropriate question, and Christ actually does ask that question in other places. But there again, why does he not ask the other disciples this question as well? Why is he singling out Peter? And that leaves only a third option. Do you love me more then these other disciples love me. That is actually the question that Christ is putting to Peter. This sounds very similar to the question of King Lear. He's singling out Peter, and he's doing so for a reason. Actually, there are two reasons. 
The one reason is that he is actually alluding to the very boast that Peter had made. We heard it read to us earlier, where Peter had basically said that he was more devoted than the other disciples were, that he was more loyal than the other disciples. In fact, that he did love Jesus more than the other disciples did or, or could. In Matthew 26, 33, Peter said this, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Those are his words. He could see the other disciples falling away, but not himself. He was the most loyal. Or we heard earlier from Luke twenty two thirty three, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. That comes in the context when the disciples are having a discussion about who is the greatest of his disciples. There's no question what he means by that. Or in John 13, 37, Lord, why can I not follow you now? Christ had just said, you can't go with me now. And he's saying, why not? He said, I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus says, will you? So he's alluding to this very thing. But more immediately, he is referring to Peter in his threefold denial in Luke 22. Where a servant girl said, this man also was with him, woman I I was not. I don't know him. Or another person, you're one of them, says, no, I'm not. Another person says, you were with him because you're a Galilean. He says, I don't know what you're talking about. And the rooster began to crow. And the Luke account records this amazing thing that's the very moment that Christ looks up and looks across the courtyard and looks Peter in the eye. Could you imagine that? And Peter remembers Jesus' words. The rooster would not crow until he denied his Lord three times. And we read that he, he leaves the garden not just crying, but weeping, weeping bitterly. And of course, this is exactly what Christ is recalling. It says in verse 17 that Peter's grieved because Jesus asked this question three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? I don't know him. I'm not with him. I don't know what you're talking about. Why would it not grieve him? What, what is Jesus doing here? He's digging up this, this painful memory that's fresh and, it, and it's raw and it, and it hurts, just as he did in John chapter 4 with the Samaritan woman. He says, go get your husband. Well, I don't have a husband. Indeed, you're telling the truth. You've had five. Why would Jesus do that? Is he being cruel? No, well, this is the master physician. He's doing with Peter what he did with the Samaritan woman. He's stirring her heart, stirring Peter's heart to repentance and humility. You see, the question's not really a question. It's, it's a lesson. And he's making this point. Peter, do you, do you still see yourself as more committed than these other brothers around the fire? Do you still insist that you're the greatest of my disciples? Do you still see yourself as that disciple that loves me more than, than anyone else? That's the question he's asking. And Peter needs to be very careful how he answers. And notice the answer is very simple. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Now we have to stop here. We're going to have to have a five-minute Bible study. I promise no more than five minutes. Because this is a point when some people observe the Greek text and they say, no, wait a second. The Lord uses one word for love and Peter uses another word. Our Lord is, is using what some would say is the divine word for love, agapao. That's the verb. Agape, you've heard that as a noun, but agapaho, that's what Christ is, 
is asking, do you agapao me? Do you have this divine love for me? But Peter is using the word phileo. Do you, do you like me? This is what people say. It's like asking if Peter like, gives the Lord a side hug. Do you, do you bromance me? Something like that. And it's true. In verse 15, do you agapao? Peter says phileo. Verse 16, do you agapao? Peter says phileo. But then in verse 17, the Lord uses the same word that Peter does. Do you phileo me? And he says, I phileo you. So what's happening here? There are two different words. This is true. But these words overlap. In fact, they're being used interchangeably. Let me see if I can make the case for you. There are five reasons why this is true. But I'm just going to give you three because you seem like nice people. Here's what's interesting. It's in this gospel that we learn that Jesus loved Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha. And so we read in chapter 11, verse 5, that Peter, or that our Lord, agapao. In the same chapter, verse 36, though, he phileo. Two different words, but the same love. Or we read in this gospel how the disciple, this is written by the disciple John, and that's the disciple that Jesus loved. But it says in chapter 13, 23, it's a love of agapao. But in chapter 20, verse 2, it's phileo. And here's the real kicker. It's in John especially that we, we read and we hear of the love between the Father and the Son. It's in this gospel that we're told that the Father loves the Son. In chapter 3, verse 35, that he agapao, the Son. But chapter 5, verse 20, Phileo. There is no way an orthodox view of Trinity can withstand the idea that the Father simply likes the Son or gives him a side hug, something like that. He loves the Son infinitely and exhaustively and perfectly. We simply have two different words being used in the same way. And as for the idea that agapao is always a reference to divine love, that's simply not true because in 2 Timothy 4.10, Paul warns about Demas who has abandoned him in his ministry. Why? Because he loved this world, a worldly, crass love. And he uses the word agapao. It's the same word. If you came to me and you say, do you love Carol? And I said, I adore her. I worship her. So you used a different word. Yes, but it means the same thing. And in fact, here's what's interesting. In these three verses, we have four different word groups where there's different words being used. And you can see three of them in your English translation. Look at verse 15. Christ answers, feed my lambs. But in verse 16, he says, tend my sheep. And then he goes back to the word feed, feed 10. He's talking about the same thing. Or in verse 15, he talks about his lambs. And then verses 16 and 17, he talks about the sheep. He's talking about the same group. The one that you cannot see is the word know. Lord, you know that I love you, verse 15. The same in 16. Then verse 17, he uses two different words for know. You know everything. You know that I love you. Oida and gnosko. But he's talking about the same thing. And the same is true here for love. And so this is a distraction, that he is talking about the same thing. And this, the question is very accessible. It's very clear. He's simply asking Peter, do you love me? He says, Lord, I love you. You know that I love you. And he says that, understanding, despite my failure, despite my denying you, I 
I love you. Notice what Peter does not say. He backs away completely from the claim that he loves Christ more or most. He doesn't say anything like that. He doesn't go near it. He doesn't want to touch it. He's, he's ashamed of that. He's, he's grieved he ever said anything like that. And he's grieved that Jesus has asked the same question essentially three times and reminds him that three times he denied his Savior. And so if it's a simple question, do you love me? It's a simple answer. Yes, Lord, you know everything. You know that I, I love you. Because he knows that Christ sees everything. He can see to the very bottom of his heart. He can weigh every motive that's there, that Christ can discern what is true, what is right, and what is sincere, and what is disingenuous. And Peter doesn't need to get an onslaught of questions. Now, Peter, do you truly repent? What is it that you believe? Let's, let's have a little theology exam here. That's not what happens. It's a simple question. Do you love me? But now I want you to see the most significant thing of all in this passage. And it's the most obvious thing but we just go right past it. And it's that the question changes. In verse 15, the question is, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? But then in verse 16, it's Simon, son of John, do you love me? Verse 17, Simon, son of John, do you love me? These are two different questions. That first question, in comparison to the other questions, is meant to move Peter. And he's moving in these questions. He's moving Peter from what was centered upon Peter, where Peter was comparing himself to his brothers, where he was looking within himself and seeing how great his love was. He's moving him from that to what should have been centered on Christ. He's moving Peter from comparing himself in relationship to his brothers to have him focus upon his relationship to Christ. But Christ is doing that first question is, Peter, stop comparing yourself to your brothers. This is not a competition. Quit looking within yourself and look to me. And you see what our Lord is doing so graciously, like with the, good, with the Samaritan woman, is he's breaking Peter down to that first question so that he can build them up to the second and the third question. The first question exposes Peter. It exposes his boasting and all his supposed loyalty and his, and his greatness. And then with this very simple question, he draws out of his disciple this encouragement and, and this love. Because what he's showing Peter, what he's showing us, it's not about your ability to boast of having a superior love in comparison to your brothers and sisters in this room. It's about simply having a sincere love, a simple love. It's about him. And your relationship with him. So now it's just a simple question, do you love me? And where there was all this arrogance and all this self-confidence, now it is just this simple humility and sincerity and this simple love for Christ. And Peter knows that Christ sees at the very bottom of his heart. And Christ can see what's there. And he can see what's not there. You know everything, and you know that I love you. It's not a perfect love, clearly, but it's real. But see, that question is for you this morning. That's the question Christ is asking you. Do you love me? It's really the only question. What does God demand? He's very clear. Christ has asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says, to love me. And notice what Christ doesn't say here. He doesn't say it has to be a great love. He doesn't say, now, Peter, before you answer, it needs to be 
impressive. You need to prove to me that your love for me is bold, that it's unwavering, that you're never, ever going to make another mistake again. He doesn't say anything like that. He's simply calling out of him this idea that this love can be very small. It can, it can be modest just as long as it's genuine. You see, it's very similar to what our Lord says about faith, that faith As long as it's genuine, it can be as small as a mustard seed. It can still move a mountain. It can be very small. That's enough. He can work with that. Or hope. Abraham's hope is praise. Even when he's hoping against hope, that is still hope in the eyes of God. And he's saying the very same thing here about love. Is there any love there at all? And our Lord is saying, that will do. I can work with that. And what that tells us is that a love that... Our our God accepts, the love that Christ accepts can be just like Peter's. It can be a love that is often marked by failure. It can be marked by disappointments and faults and imperfections. And it means that many times as a Christian that we may feel like we've lost that love we had at the first. It may feel like there's days like when our cup is not full. There are going to be those days when we struggle with our our doubts, when we fall into the same sins, when we listen to this world and all of its false loves. There are those moments even when we are ashamed of him and those moments when we fail him or disappoint him and even moments like Peter when we deny him. But what he asks you is this, do you love me? Maybe this morning you're You're wondering about that. And I would just simply remind you of what our Lord is doing. He is restoring Peter, not just as a disciple, but as an apostle in his church. Do you love me? Yes, you know that I love you. Well, then feed my sheep. Tend my flock. Let's get back to work. Do you think he requires more from you? Does he have more questions for you than he has for Peter? There's only one question. Do you love him? And if you love him at all, everything else just falls into place. That those who love God are those that repent. We grieve when we hurt somebody that we love. When you look your spouse in the face and you see that disappointment because you've injured them and you've hurt them. You repent of that with grief and sorrow in your heart. Why? Because you love them. It's those who love Christ who believe in him. It's like our children when they're afraid. What do they do? They come running up to us and they wrap their arms around our legs because they trust us. And so they run to us as we do to Christ. Any disciple who loves Christ at all will pray. Why? Because we can't stop talking to him about everything that's on our heart. It's like when you first fell in love, you couldn't stop talking to that other person. You talked all the time. That's the way it is with the disciple. We pour our hearts out to him. We draw more and more closer to him. It's the person who loves Christ who will deny themselves and, and take up the cross and put their hand to the plow. It's that person who loves Christ that will turn their back on the world and will uh, resist and, and part with anything and everything for his sake. They'll even cut off the right hand. Why? Because they love him. And it's this love that makes the hard things easier. It even makes the bitter things sweeter. The dowry that Saul demanded of David for McCall was easy, it says in Scripture. Why? Because David loved McCall. In those seven years that Laban made Jacob work for Rachel, Scripture says he went fast. Why? Because he loved her. 
Do you love him? It's perhaps the most simple question that could be asked of you, and yet it's, it's the most searching question that can be asked of you. It's an amazing question. The youngest Christian in this room understands this question, and yet the most seasoned and experienced saint in this room is still challenged by this question. It's a great question. It's, it's the right question. But you can ask any, question, any Christian about their walk with, with Christ, and they will tell you, honestly, uh, sometimes I do not always feel like I'm born again. I don't always feel like I'm a child of God. Not every, not every day feels like a resurrection day, and um, my heart doesn't always feel that, that pure. But if you ask me, do I love him? I do. I do love him. I do not love him as much as I should. I do not love him as much as I want, but I love him. And I'm sure there are other Christians who love him more, but certainly love him better, but I love him. And I go to church, I look around the room, and I see others who are more faithful than I am, more obedient, more humble, but I love him. And in fact, we would say along with J.C. Ryle, how could I not love him? How could I not love him? He suffered in my place and through his blood and through his resurrection. He has redeemed me from the condemning power of sin and the reigning power of sin so that I would be forgiven of my sins and accepted as righteous in his sight. How could I not love him? I look to Christ because he's the one who, who carried a burden that I could not endure. He's the one who has satisfied a debt that I could not pay and won a victory that I could not obtain and conquered an enemy that I, I could not win the victory over. How could I not love him? I look to Christ who called me by his spirit and by that spirit opened my eyes that I would repent of my sin, that I would cast myself upon Jesus Christ and hope in him and be delivered from my flesh in this, in this world and the devil. How could I not love him? And he's come to me and he's given me light instead of the darkness in which I once walked and peace instead of the unrest that used to haunt me. He's given me hope instead of uncertainty and life instead of the death that I deserve. How could I not love him? And he supplies all that I need. He leads me by his spirit and his truth. He bears with my weaknesses. And he raises me up every time I fall down. And when I'm drowning, he rescues me. And when I deny him, he restores me. How could I not love him? There's only one question this morning. Do you love him? Do you love him? If you do, then go in peace. And go in the confidence that he loves you. He loves you with a love that cannot be measured. A love that's without equal. A love that's without end. And know this, that Christ loves you. Christ who knows everything, he knows everything, 
about you. But he loves you more than anyone else loves you. That is peace. Let us pray. Our gracious God and our Father, we do love the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. We love him because you first loved us. We love him because you have shown us who he is, this one who can answer for our sins, this one who died for our sins, this one who was raised with victory over the grave, this one who sits at the right hand of God and continues to answer every accusation that is made against us, every accusation that is true, and yet he points to the evidence not only of what he has accomplished, but he points to his love. We thank you, Father, that we can rest in this love this morning, and we confess that we do so as those who are so imperfect, who are so inconsistent, and who constantly fail, and yet he loves us. And so in the words of Scripture, we profess this one, this one that we love, who is a friend of sinners. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen.